All right, you guys can have a seat. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I got one, thank you. All right, well, happy Mother's Day. Then, even if you are ungrateful, it's totally okay. All right. Galatians chapter 3. All right, will you start the timer, please, Ashley? Hey, we've been in this series looking at the early letters of Paul. Last year, we spent a, a year kind of doing a survey of the Old Testament. What is the big story, right? What is kind of the overarching narrative that kind of guides the entirety of the Old Testament? So this year, we're doing that as well. So we began in the Gospel of Mark, working through the Gospel. The end of last year, we kind of did a deep dive on the book of Acts. We had, um, I don't know, 50 people. We'd sit out here on the patio on Sunday nights and work through it. Our community groups worked through it. And so we got the Gospel and kind of the early church, and now we're into that era which would be in the middle of the book of Acts, where the churches are being started. And the Apostle Paul, the church planter and early church leader, probably the most influential church leader of the first century, other than Jesus, as he has gone out and started churches and shared the gospel and led people to faith and trained up elders and handed off the church to the elders and then gone on to the next place, he is beginning to write letters back to those churches. And his goal for these early letters is the same, to establish the gospel inside of these young churches, to make sure that he, he takes the whole gospel, hands it off to them in, in complete, like kind of a complete gospel, nothing extra, nothing missing, and making sure that they are grounded and rooted in the gospel. Now, when we say gospel here at Generations Church, we we're not just talking about the thing that introduces you to God, the, the thing that Jesus accomplished so you could begin a relationship, but rather how Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians, where he says, the gospel that you heard and received and in which you stand and one day will stand you before Jesus, right? The, the gospel is the very power we live and are rooted in every day. And so we've been into Galatians, and Galatians, if you were going to give the whole book a theme, it'd be no other gospel, and so he's been talking to the church in Galatia, and what has gone, after he's handed off, he's started the church, these group of people called Judaizers have gone in, and they've told all the Christians who are primarily not Jewish, he's told them all that in order to be a good Christian, you must first be a good Jew. And so Christians, he's been, they've been being taught to go back through circumcision and dietary law and Levitical priesthood, all these things. And so Paul is telling them, no. You don't add to the gospel. And so we began with kind of that no other gospel, no adding or taking away. Last week, we looked at moralism and legalism, trying really hard to obtain favor with God or adding rules to our faith to manage our faith rather than trusting in God to lead us through life. So here's a main idea today, a living faith. Our relationship with the gospel is faith. Like our part in the gospel is faith. A living faith has three parts, knowledge or understanding, assent, meaning agreeing, and then trust, which is acting. Saving faith is a living faith. A saving faith is more than just, I believe, or I hear, I accept, right? But it's an understanding, it's a belief and an acceptance, but it's also a living faith, it's an action that we actually respond. True faith results in you moving, acting, changing. And so we're going to look at that in Galatians 3 this morning. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather, we thank you.
Thank you for the moms that are here. Young and old, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. I know, I was just looking, and there's a, a family here with four generations in it. There's several families with three generations. How exciting to see. And those generations are here in part because of the moms. And so we thank you for them today. We know this message is for all of us, but we have a day that we get to carve out and just remind ourselves to appreciate those, our moms, who have loved us so well. And so thank you for them. Will you bless them today uniquely? Thank you that we can gather together, have fun, take pictures, do all that. But that we do it in the context of worship and your word. Will you lead us in your word today? It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So his starting point is the gospel. He's been talking about that, but as this conversation starts today, he reminds them that, listen, the, the gospel portrayed you, the gospel that you heard, the gospel that you received is one of Christ crucified. The message that made a difference to you, the thing that you responded to, it's of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, now, that's where we began. Now, how have we moved on? How has that changed? Why are we, why are we anywhere else? Verse 2. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's what he asks you. He says, listen, when you came to faith, when you were baptized, when you were transformed by the Holy Spirit, when you were empowered by the Holy Spirit, did you do that? Did you achieve that somehow? Did you earn that in some way? Or did you just receive that by faith? And there's really, I think, two pieces to this Holy Spirit question that Paul is asking about. And one is kind of the movement of the Spirit before you come to faith, the, the regenerating work of the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit that comes in and opens up your heart to hear the gospel. And then there's the kind of post-conversion, really the one that is tied often to baptism, kind of the empowering for the life that God has called you to live, whatever that might look like as all our lives are different. But he says, no, those things, when, when the Spirit began with you, whether that's kind of led you to faith or empowered you to live a new faith, when, when the Holy Spirit did that, did you achieve that? Did you work for that? Did you have to do anything? Or did you receive that freely by faith. And it's obviously a rhetorical question. We know it's by faith. And so we'll put this up. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power and presence of God alive inside of you to equip and keep you in your faith. You can't replace God inside you with rules or laws, right? You can't manage your faith in ways that God didn't provide for you to manage your faith. You can't transform yourself in ways that God didn't provide. He said, here's how we do this, and now they're trying to change it. So here's a verse for you. We said this last week, the first verse. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. We talked about this, that Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, then obey my commandments. He says, if you love me, you will obey. Like the natural outpouring of loving Jesus will change your life. I always use the example of my wife. Like, I don't need to hear more rules about how to be a better husband. If I love my wife more, I will treat her better. 
right? I will be more sensitive to her. I will speak better to her. I will act better. I'll know what she needs and wants and desires, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll really want to do that. In the same way in my faith, the more that I love Jesus, the more that I'm on track with Jesus, right? We always see ourselves, or we often see ourselves as having behavioral problems, things that we do right or wrong. We always say here that we don't have behavior problems, we have belief problems, right? Because whatever we truly believe inside will drive what happens outside, right? That we don't have behavior problems, we have belief problems, because if we change what we believe, if we're transformed internally, it will change what comes out. That's what Paul is writing about, that the spirit inside transforms us. So that's what Jesus says. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he says in the very next verse, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Can you put that back up, please? And so after this statement of you, if you love me, you'll obey, like it's a natural outcome. But he also says now after the cross, after the resurrection, when I send back to heaven, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Note the capital H, right? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another helper. Helper's a great word. In the Old Testament, it is used of God. God is our helper. It's actually first used when Adam is alone in the garden. No wife. And God says, it's not good that man is alone. I'll give him a helper, right? That can sound condescending. That can sound kind of like second class or under. And that's not what it means because God is our helper in the Old Testament. And then Jesus becomes our helper in the beginning of the New Testament. And he says, and then... After I achieve the gospel, after I do the work necessary for you, then I will send you another helper, or God will send you another helper. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So all three persons of the Trinity are called our helper. That I will give you a helper, another helper. That that will guide you, lead you, empower you, keep you in your faith. This is the design of how you're to manage your faith. Not try harder, not add rules, not do this, not do that, but from the spirit inside. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, Paul asked, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's kind of his overall question. Like having begun your faith by the power of God, by the spirit, by God himself, have you now moved on to doing it yourself? That's what he's saying. Are you now trying to better it, be perfected, in your own efforts and strength. Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect it in the flesh? Verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Now there's two things going on here. One we're gonna talk about, one not so much. The Bible, and especially in Paul's writings, which we're gonna look at a verse he writes to another church in a second, talks about even the faith that we have as a gift, right? And so faith is not something we can go, okay, here's what I did. Right? There's actually no place in our faith where we get to sit back and go, aha, there's my contribution. Right? Cool, that was my part. Right? Even the faith that we use is a gift. Paul in Romans 12 says this, for, the, by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned each to the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, faith, almost like a muscle, is something that you are given, but it's your job to figure out how to use it and exercise it, right? That kind of, you can go to the gym, you can make it better, make it stronger, make it, you know, work better. You can learn, you can exercise it, but even that is a gift. 
So when we look at our faith, when we look at our salvation, when we look at our walk with God, 100% of it is a gift from God. There's the work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. There's the Holy Spirit leading us to that and applying it to us. There's God's sovereignty over it. And then there's even the gift of faith that we exercise that is a gift from God. And so he said, he's going to, Paul's going to look at how do we, how do we begin to grow that faith? One of them is here, and we'll read that verse again. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So he talks about suffering, or another way to put that is endurance, right? And that could be anything. The reason we're not going to go that, down that road today is I think over the last two and a half years that the church has talked a lot about suffering in ways that are not suffering. In ways that if we took that same idea and we went to the other side of the planet where Christianity is often persecuted, they would say, no, that's not suffering. That was super inconvenient, right? Mask mandates, not persecution against the church, right? When the public school can't gather and they ask the churches not to gather, clearly it's not a targeted thing on the church. Right or wrong is a different conversation, but it's not a targeted thing. We're not being persecuted as Christians. And again, if the Buddhist temples ask not to meet and we're asked not to, whatever, right? So I don't think we do well with the word persecution or suffering. But in our lives, we have struggles. So in our lives, we have things that we struggle to overcome, right? Or things that kind of plague our lives. And suffering or endurance in those often builds faith. As Lisa and I were praying last night, we was praying that she's just been having, uh, for those of you that don't know, my wife's been chronically ill for the last 19 years. She's bedridden for most of it. And so many of you have never even met her. Okay, so last night, we're in the middle of this, kind of this last week's been hard on her. It's been a, it's been a tough week with pain. And we were praying last night, and I just, and it was knowing these words, was praying, let her faith be increased through this, right? Will you show her, will you reveal yourself to her, even if she's in pain tomorrow? Will you be with her that she will know you better tomorrow? So I guess we really did go down this road. So suffering is one way, or endurance is one way that God grows or strengthens our faith. We're going to look at another one. Verse 5. I have a note. It says, I don't want to talk about that one today. Clearly, I ignored my notes. All right, verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, note, the way to grow your faith is not the miracles part. He says, does the Spirit, when he works among you, how does that happen? He, goes, he says this, by hearing with faith. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's that hearing that strengthens our faith, right? Today, as we spend a lot of time, because the most repeated word in this passage is faith, when we spend time talking about it, we should leave here with at least our faith challenged, right? If not, our faith strengthened, right? That there have been, there's been a challenge to it by hearing. So in Romans 10, it says this, but they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, quoting the Old Testament, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by, from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, right? Faith comes by hearing. This is good for you, too, if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and, and you have people that you love that are not followers of Jesus. 
One thing that helps is talking to them about your faith, right? We're in a podcast series right now where we're talking about, we're sharing stories of faith from the church, people here in the church sharing how God has worked in their lives. Like you've heard my story over and over again. If you, if you go to Generations, you've heard my story tons of times. You're probably sick of my story. That's okay. Job security. So, uh, yeah, right? So, um, so we want to tell other stories, right? And we want to get to know and we want to hear because my story is one thing and it resonates with some people and that's great. Well, what about the person it doesn't resonate with? Well, that's what your story's for, right? And that's why, and we hear these different things. Just talking this morning to a mom who suffered through a really big battle with postpartum, right? I'd love to see that come out. That would have been great right here around Mother's Day, right? For people that have struggled with that. Only people that have struggled with that, moms. And dudes married to moms, but you get the point, you get the idea, right? Right, Brian? Oh, yeah. So, anyhow, but, uh, but sharing those stories because that story will resonate with some of you in ways that mine doesn't. Because by hearing, we get to hear. It's not just on Sundays, it's not just a preached message, just not this gospel proclamation, but hearing the gospel shared in the lives of the people all around us. So here's a note. Hearing causes faith. Hearing and obeying the word of God proclaimed grows our faith. Hearing must be accompanied by action. To hear is passive. To act on it is active, right? For growth. To just hear is like to just eat, right? And I'm going to suck it in so I'm not the example right now. But you can overeat and under-exercise. And it doesn't really grow muscle. You just get fat, Right? We all know that. We're Americans. We all know that, right? Exercise. To hear the word, to live it out, is like to take in nutrients and to exercise it, to grow that, to become healthy. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this goes all the way back to Genesis 12, right? Early in the Bible. So what only things that have happened up until this point is creation, sin, entering into human history, destroying humanity so bad that, the world, that God floods the world, starts all over, right? And as he does that, he starts kind of a lineage or a legacy or a generation of faith through a man called Abram, Abraham. And he calls him to leave his home, to leave his family, to bring his wife, and stuff, but to leave his father, and, and they were wealthy where they were, and, and to leave the comfort of that, and then I love what God calls him to do. He goes, listen, go, I want you to leave that, and I want you to follow me to a place I'll show you later. Like, there's not even a plan. Like, hey, we're going to go right here. Like, just, hey, follow me, right? But he says this, and through your name, all the nations will be blessed. You will be blessed to be a blessing, right? I love that. I'm going to bless you, but the job, it's not just for you, right? I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing to others, and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, really, with one of those early implications of Christ to come. And so Paul is reaching back into Judaism to refute these guys who are trying to add Judaism to Christianity, and he's saying this, he's saying, listen, those who are sons of Abraham, they often refer back to him, but how did Abraham become a righteous man? He did so by faith, not by works. So verse 6 again, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, 
Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So he says, listen, you don't just get to be Jewish by descent in order to be considered a son of Abraham, which has spiritual implications. It's like this. You can't just be born in America, not be a Buddhist or an atheist, and attend church on Easter, and that makes you a Christian. You don't get it by birth or by tradition, that there's more to it. And that's what he's saying about Judaism. Listen, you don't need to be a son of Abraham without living the faith that Abraham had. He had a, a faith that caused him to be with God, that that's his spiritual legacy. Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So, again, we are sons of Abraham when we live inside of that blessing, which really had implications on Christ to come. Through you and your descendants, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, actually a couple thousand years later, will come a Savior. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you will come a Savior who will reconcile the whole world to God. Whole world meaning no limitations ethnically or geographically. In fact, as Paul proclaims this, he says this. As he writes this letter, he says it to a church in Galatia that was primarily non-Jewish. Like us today, there's probably some Jewish people here, Jewish by birth, but not a lot. That this is a fulfillment of that, that all the nations are blessed because of him. Because Abraham took that faith and lived that faith, and he passed that on to his son Isaac, who passed it on eventually to his son Jacob. Jacob has an early, bumpy start, right? Like a lot of us. Who then becomes the man Israel, who has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which is Judah. Through him comes King David, and all the promises keep coming down till we get to Jesus. And all the nations get to be reconciled to God through Christ. So here's a note for you. Sons of Abraham. Jews saw themselves as sons of Abraham by birth or tradition. In the same way, American Christianity sees tradition and attendance as enough. Paul would say, no, not so much. Right? That a spiritual legacy, that a, a faith is a living faith. That faith isn't just a thing that, you know, kind of I believe or I agree with, but a thing that I live and that is ultimately transforming to me. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, right? Note the emphasis of the word faith throughout this whole passage, twice in that sentence. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. He says, if you're going to try and live by the law, then here's the rule. You've got to obey all the laws all the time perfectly, otherwise you fail the law, Right? I'm sure I broke that this morning somehow, right? Like, I know that if it's going to be by obedience, I'm in trouble. He says, so you get to pick grace or perfection. Rhetorically, he says that. Because he knows that we can't achieve perfection, right? That we know that we've already broken the rules. And then, and I always say this, Christians, you know, you should know better than anybody. We know how we choose not to obey, Right? For the non-Christian, there, maybe there's another set, subset of rules. But for us, we know what God has called us to. And we also should be very honest about the fact that we fall short. And 
not even fall short that sounds like we accidentally don't make it, but that we choose not to do what God says so often. That we all sin. That we all even choose to sin knowing what it cost Christ for us. So Christians should be less, well, it should be less a lot of things. Let's just get out of that. So Christians should be far more aware of sin than anyone else. Couldn't think of ending that sentence without words like hypocritical or judgmental, and that wouldn't be good on Mother's Day, so we won't do that. We should be far more aware of how fallen we are and the cost that it cost Christ to reconcile us to God. So right and wrong things, she doesn't know for the screen, doing the right things and not doing the wrong things does not make us a Christian. Faith that leads to action is how we know if we truly follow Jesus, right? It's not by how we measure up because the more we learn, the more we recognize we don't measure up. So it's faith that transforms. So here's two ways that Paul, well, one way Paul says it, then James also says, so Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, listen, you're saved by grace. The faith given to you is a gift. You're to exercise that. You receive that grace by faith, and then you are saved to do things differently, to good works. You're Christ's workmanship. You get to do things differently. But the works don't make the Christian, right? But the Spirit, the grace, the faith leads to transformation. James says it this way, but some of us will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, so you say you believe, but it doesn't look like it on the outside. Now, there's a difference between someone who is a brand new follower of Jesus. They're not going to look a whole lot like Jesus, maybe, right? And maybe that same person 10 years later. And so it's not a, well, you do this or you do that. That makes you a Christian. That makes you not a Christian. But he says, you show me your faith, and I'll show you by the way I live what I truly believe. Again, we don't have behavior problems. We have belief problems. And so he says, I'll show you what I believe by how I live. I will live out my faith. And so Paul says, you're saved by grace through faith to do good works. And James says, listen, I'll show you my faith by the works that I do, by the way that I live, by the way that I love others, by the way that I'm being transformed continually by the gospel, by the way that this cycle never stops in me, that Jesus draws us nearer and nearer. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one who is justified before God by the law. Again, we all know we broke the law. The righteous will live by faith, Paul says, but the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So he's contrasting faith and law, faith and rules, faith and works. And again, the works part in this example is working to achieve that. Right? By doing this, I'm a Christian. Not, I'm a Christian, therefore I do this, right? Let me say it another way. By doing these things, I become a follower of Jesus. By doing the right things and not doing the wrong things, I please God. Rather than I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore changes are being made, and God is pleased with that in Christ. Right? That I can't earn God's love. It's Mother's Day. It's not like our kids have to earn the love of their mom. Right? Clearly, there's right and wrong things. Clearly, there's things that are displeasing and things that are pleasing. 
but love precedes that. Right? You love that child when you carried that child. Right? That as before that child was born, before your son or your daughter was born, there was already a love for your child. That you brought that child into the world with love. And that love has caused you to be a good parent. In the same way, that child hopefully grows up to love you and, and honor you. Right? But you're not, you don't give your love to the child depending upon how they act today. You already love the child. And that's his contrast between faith and works. Love precedes that. We live inside of that. We know that God loves us. We live inside that place where we know God is pleased with us because of Christ, not because of us. And because of that, it strengthens us. It grows our faith. It grows our love for God. And the outpouring is a transformed life. Now, is that transformed life pleasing to God? Absolutely. But he was pleased with you already in Christ. Verse 13, for Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Again, opening the door beyond Judaism that the gospel would go out to non-Jewish nations. But here's what he says. He says, Christ became the curse for us. So Jesus, God in heaven, the son of God, comes down to humanity, becomes flesh, becomes like you and I, lives this life, joins our story, except Jesus actually obeys the law completely, that Jesus is completely sinless making him not only the perfect sacrifice, but also the one who obtained righteousness by doing the right things, something we can't do. But instead of taking that and saying, I've earned this, he says, no, rather, I'll trade this for those of us who couldn't. God in human flesh lived the way that you and I are called to live, but that we have failed to live. And he did that rather not just to obtain something for himself, but rather to sacrifice himself for us. Because we have all fallen short. We all sin, and we all know we had sin all the time. And so Jesus goes and he becomes the penalty for us. He says he becomes the curse by hanging on a tree or hanging on a cross. So he dies for our sin. He is buried to cover our sin. But the story doesn't stop there. The, the resurrection comes that we might have new life. The ascension comes that Jesus can pour out his spirit on us, that the spirit of God, very God, the very God that lives inside of us, not only to transform us, but to empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. That by faith, we receive that gift of what Christ has done. By faith, we become baptized. By faith, we receive the spirit. By faith, we continue on this journey of the gospel. Again, the gospel isn't the thing that just simply introduces us to God and then we're left to figure it out after. The gospel is the very power of Christ applied to us through the Spirit that we remain in. It's the only hope we have. It's the knowledge that at the end of everything, no matter how well I've done or not how well I've done, that if I'm in Christ, I stand before God secure because Christ has secured it not because I achieved it or didn't achieve it. And so the gospel is that Jesus pours this out on us. Jesus takes our place. Starting back in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, meaning faith, might come to the Gentiles or to all nations so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Notice that faith and the Spirit are constantly intertwined. Not only knowing or understanding 
Not just believing or assenting to something being true, but living, acting upon it. Faith is all of those things. Faith is active. And it is also impossible without the very spirit inside of us. And so Paul, as he proclaims this message, reminding this young church who's getting kind of sidetracked by these people that are coming in and trying to change the gospel message to them, keeps reminding them, faith, spirit, that's your job. Trust the spirit inside of you. We're going to skip down to verse 23, and here's what he says. I just want you to hear the emphasis of faith. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Here's what that means. The law, like think Ten Commandments, like that exists just to show us our need for a Savior. Just to point to our need and our brokenness. Because how long can you truly go without breaking one or more of those things? Idolatry, coveting, whatever. Since the law just existed to point to your need for a Savior, that's it. It was your guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. In other words, reconciled to God by faith. So now that faith has come, meaning Jesus, we are no longer under a guardian, meaning the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Now you're all in the family of God. Sons there is just the generic plural for all of us being children of God by faith. Your job, faith. Live out the faith that God has given you. Empowered by the Spirit, live out that faith. Verse 27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, Jesus have put on Christ. So those of you that have been put on Christ, you've identified with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I've heard this verse used to kind of support a lot of different things. Here's the context that we just read through it today. All of us are separated from God by sin, all. Male, female, young, old, slave, free, rich, poor, black, white, doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile. He said, and all are reconciled by faith. Doesn't matter who you are. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, black, white, doesn't matter. That we all come to faith the same way. That we all, at the foot of the cross, are the same. Sinful, broken, and in need of a Savior. And as we walk away from the cross in Christ, we all leave by faith, empowered by God himself, the spirit that lives inside of us. We all walk away empowered the same way. We show up with the same need, and we we leave with the same solution. And so those two verses we read earlier, I just want to close and read those again. So Ephesians For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift. It's free. It's not your own doing. You didn't do it, and you're not responsible for it. It's the gift of God, not a result of what you've done, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's an expectation that our faith will be lived out, that we will look different on the other side of being in Christ. Right? That we don't look the same. That none of us get to look the same. Not just certain things or certain areas, but we are all transformed. We all change in Christ. That they're prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we should all, like James, say the next one. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. Like, well, you believe, I do. Here's what he says. 
He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's like words have less meaning. Your actions will reveal what you truly believe. Again, we don't have behavior problems. We have belief problems. But how do we see what we believe? We see how we live, right? Our actions will show what we most truly believe. If the one most important thing in our lives is God, is our faith, you will see that in how we live. When ourself is at the top of that list, you'll see it in how we live. We don't have behavior problems. We have belief problems. We don't need to do different things. We need to love Jesus more. We don't need to work really hard. We need to surrender to the Spirit inside of us a little more each day. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. There's, there's no being here apart from you. There's no one good enough. Clearly, I'm not. But there are none. It's just your word says, for all sinned. We fall short of your glory. So we can't keep the law. So we all need grace. And the only thing we can do is to live in the faith that you give us. To allow you to strengthen that. Whether it be through hearing, through struggle, through trial, through whatever it might be. But at the end of it all, may it be the same thing. Just as you said, Jesus, if we love you, we will be obedient. It's a natural outpouring of us living a life that loves you. As we love you more and more, you, you pour out strength on us through your spirit. As we hear, as we endure, you strengthen our faith. So help us to be different. Help us to live differently. Help us to stop trying to manage the outside, but start doing that hard work of what's inside. Learn that it's not our effort, but it's your spirit within us. Help us to that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.